This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Paul Lawville, CFO of Proofpoint, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 285. As a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Stefan Parrott, CFO of KCG Holdings. If your job is doing a, a repetitious task, then those are the things that we are trying to do automatically. And so... Um, I, we don't want to do this to you. We want you to be a part of it. We want you to recognize those opportunities. You are going to create a new skill set for your for yourself, and I promise you that in the years ahead, that's going to pay dividends. Listen to our complete interview with Stefan after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking to Stefan Parrott, CFO of KCG Holdings, a financial services firm that engages in market making, high frequency training, and institutional sales and trading. Stefan, welcome. Thank you, Jack. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for joining us. And quickly, uh, we look forward to learning more about your background. You blazed a rather unique path to the CFO office, one that includes a, a PhD in engineering from Cornell and an MBA from Wharton. And among your uh, varied uh, career chapters, if we turn back the clock roughly eight years, you were uh, serving as uh, chief of staff to Chuck Prince at City just prior uh, the global uh, financial crisis. So we want to we want to hear about this, but let's allow you instead to be our guide and ask if you you wouldn't mind to highlight some of those uh, career experiences you believed helped prepare you uh, for the the CFO role you have today. Sure, Jack. I would be happy to do that. And uh, as you said, it uh, all did start as an engineer uh, back in the in the mid eighties and. Um, I was uh, mechanical and then electrical and got into computer science and spent about 10 years uh, in engineering and in particular in the research area around computer-aided design systems, which were uh, new technology at the time and uh, systems used for engineers to sit down and design with software uh, planes and and cars and basically everything now. So, so that it, those were the the early years. And uh, over time, 
I became interested in the evenings. I became interested in finance. I started reading about it. There was a lot of activity on Wall Street, quantitative activity, and I was curious about that. And so I uh, started taking courses in the evening and um, um, became more and more interested in business and finance. And so at, uh, at some point I said, okay, I'm going to um, do this full time. And as, as you had mentioned, I went to Wharton for a couple of years and a year and a half and studied finance full time. Again, I was an engineer and uh, still have an entrepreneurial bent as we're going to talk about. But uh, while I was there, I started a small software company that was had uh, trading and um, competitive analysis kind of software. And so I was doing both at, at the time. And after about the time I graduated, I pretty much had run out of money. <laughs> I was married and had two children. And so Citigroup, uh, really Citibank, because it was just about the time of their big merger with Solomon Smith Barney, uh, they had offered me the opportunity to come and help them do technology investments, which meant going out to Silicon Valley and meeting with venture capitalists, putting money down on different uh, companies as investments and uh, following them through. And so that was, as I said, that was the time of the merger. And so there was a lot of activity and moving things around in, in the Citigroup, which was a very large company, uh, particularly at that time. And over the course of more than a decade, I had a variety of positions, both in investing, which in this technology investing, but you know, eventually I really moved into finance proper and did um, more on the uh, planning and analysis, risk capital, M&A, um, expense management. So I had groups in all of those areas and moved around a lot within the company. So, so uh, both the corporate and investment bank and, and um, at the corporate level and over Merrill, I had gone over to Merrill, I was in wealth management. So I had a lot of different experiences in finance. And uh, as you had mentioned, leading up to the financial crisis, it was um, Chuck Prince, who I was friends with and who I had worked with, said, I need your help to, to, to be an assistant here, which was a very coveted developmental role. And, uh, and, I, and I took that. And that was just the time of the, of the crisis, which was, a, as we all know, was a, was a somewhat crazy time. And, um, and in any event, so that we we went through that crisis as a, as a company, and um, I went over to to uh, Merrill Lynch with one of the executives to help her um, put put together some divisions that were at the uh, Bank of America Wealth Management. And by then, the the financial crisis had played out, and we had some uh, some health problems with my parents. So I took some time time out from that. And um, at that point in my career, I returned to my technology roots. I had seen a lot of um, issues that companies were struggling with. And I was a software engineer, and I started writing code, and I worked with another company as kind of a, loosely speaking, a JV partner, and they had a sales force. And so I created a, a company to go out and help companies restructure. And in about leading up to my fourth year, I 
met the folks here at KCG who were uh, looking, they were doing a lot of technology transformation work. We're basically a technology company here on Wall Street. And uh, they had a CFO role open. And so between the finance background, the uh, software experience and, and systems experience and transformation experience, they asked me to be CFO. So that's, that's the, the progression uh, in roles leading to, to where I am now. And I, I do want to uh, ask you about your priorities as you arrive there, but I, I have to take a step back because I do think this is really an unusual path you've taken. In terms of the software piece of it, and, uh, and, and also, I actually, I have one question that I have to ask sure. quickly here. At the time of the financial <laughs> crisis, uh, here you've evolved really into the finance world and you've stepped away perhaps in some ways from uh, your your engineering, software engineering background. I know it played a part there, but at the same time, was there any thoughts as to what have I done? Let me, how did I enter this world? And let me step back. Well, you know, I would say, um, well, certainly, I think probably everyone in the company and everyone in finance said, you know, how did we get here? Because it was a, a fairly uh, dramatic turn of events over, you know, a period of years. But I would say, for me personally, in terms of my career trajectory, not really, in, in the sense that um, when we were in the middle of the crisis and it quickly became apparent what we had to do, we needed to downsize things that uh, were, were now luxuries. We had to downsize groups and functions and, and assets that um, we simply could not afford. We needed very significant expense savings you know, to get through the um, that tough environment. And so they had formed the CFO at the time, uh, Gary Crittenden and um, our COO, who was Bob Druskin, uh, both great guys. They formed a group to re-engineer the firm. And uh, they took a handful of senior finance folks and um, who who understood how the whole thing worked and and how to get at the data, and so so that was an opportunity for me to get into how do you re-engineer a firm, and that led to a whole new career track for me, because as as we've seen since that time, uh, a lot of the financial industry has to restructure, and so uh, finance uh, professionals who understand the, the process of re-engineering, how to do it properly in a, in a systematic data-driven way are, um, you know, they're, they have a lot of career options and they, I think they will for, for several years. So it, um, it was, it was a shocking, you know, set of events that happened, but, uh, it was, there was opportunity there and, um, I'm glad I was able to be a part of that. Many of us, I think, have sort of a, a naive understanding, I'm speaking for myself here, of uh, technical uh, software engineering. And when we hear about it, we often think of, of course, Silicon Valley and the startups. Uh, you have taken a, a quite a, a different path from that. And I'm sure there are many people who 
um, have built their careers in a similar fashion, at least in the software world, by being rather specialized. Um, and you're kind of in this very unique space of uh, restructuring and software smarts together. Um, am I am I illustrating something uh, that rings true, or no? Would you would you tell me something more about that that unique world that you were part of? Um, I would say you're absolutely right, and I can explain it in a different way, which is this is not a um, this is not an original idea. Other people have have uh, have, have heard of the same thing, and, and folks who have done it their own way. But the intersection of you can think of it as like a Venn diagram of overlapping circles. The intersection of different capabilities and experiences provides unique opportunities. And so to, for me, the, it's been in my, in my career, um, I think that I have found that if, if you have a diverse skill set as opposed to a very narrow skill set, it's a little uh, riskier in the sense of you don't have a well-defined career track, but it opens up a lot of other unexpected opportunities. So, you know, if you have a, um, so my, my most recent company used all of those Silicon Valley tools, platforms, agile software development methodologies, et cetera. So that, that is one part of software development. Big institutions, big Wall Street institutions and big company institutions there, they have a different set of requirements in terms of the software they develop, particularly if they're for sort of high consequence systems like, you know, airplanes and things like that. So those are, you can be an expert in one of those, or you can understand both of them. And right now, you know, at our company, which, as I said, KCG, it is a financial, we're in the financial space, but like the whole stock market, um, where there used to be people standing in blue coats, waving, yelling, shouting, and holding, you know, uh, uh, pieces of paper that you see on CNN and so on. It's now the hum of computers and algorithms running. And so that's true here as well. And so we are combining at our company both some of those Silicon Valley uh, techniques and, and tool sets, et cetera, but also we have to play in that Wall Street space, which is, again, it is a little bit different in terms of technology. So by knowing, by being experienced in both of those, that creates an opportunity for me. Now, that's uh, a great uh, segue for us to ask you about the kind of job you wanted to create at KCG, because uh, it would seem to me that the CFO role in some ways um, might be confining for you because you have these these uh, other experiences. What what was the kind of CFO job that you wanted to create for yourself? Well, uh, the it's an excellent question because when I first met Daniel Coleman, our CEO, and his management team, it was not the first thing on my mind looking for a CFO position. Uh, I had clients, I was, um, you know, in a business and what, what he described, what Daniel described to me in terms of his vision 
for the company, and uh, it's I could look at the track record of what they had done, highly consistent with that vision, what we've done the last two years, again, highly consistent. So he and his team have a vision of what this company is going to be, and a big part of that was was transforming um, what was a more uh, as a traditional market maker type firm into the sort of next generation, highly automated, highly scalable global trading platform. So when I, when I saw that uh, and what he had described to me as the role was not the traditional accounting, reporting, taxes, etc. I have a team here. They're highly skilled. They cover those things. They keep me informed. Um, what I was looking for and what he was looking for was someone who understood that world, but then could really be a transformer and not just to finance, but to help him and the team transform the company. And that is the, that is the position that I uh, created. And so, you know, if you just think about like the stock exchanges, just loosely speaking, bits and bytes, electrons enter this building through um, networks, through electronic networks, software algorithms, uh, analyze data, make decisions, trades go out through electronic networks to different exchanges and, and so on. And so that all is, um, if you apply good engineering, sound finance to that, that is a... Um, uh, a set of tasks that can really be done in a very automated, very risk-controlled fashion. And that requires a different way of thinking for all 1,000, or now less than 1,000 people in this company, uh, a much more sort of systems view of how this gets done. And so that was the role that um, that I created here and, and what Daniel was looking for me to create. Uh, so it's, um, you know, I, when I look at, when I look at the people here and we look at finance in particular and our audience, I think will, will, um, all have experienced this, which is when I look at the, each, each member of my team and what they do, if they are taking data out of one system, or several systems, putting it in Excel, manipulating it, pivoting it, uploading it to some other system, then I'm not using that talent well. That We can have software do that. And so that systematically going through the company and applying that logic to the entire company is, is really the premise of, this, um, of our strategy. Well, speaking about that team, did you have a... Uh finding the people you needed. Did you uh, look in the traditional places, say for a chief accounting officer or controller? What Was there something uh, that you were looking for uh, certain types of people that perhaps didn't come out of the traditional, more traditional finance functions? And well, it's, um, you know, just in the two years now, a little over two years that I've been here, what has happened with the team is, um, and the company, is that as we automate things, the team gets smaller, and things that were done manually are now done um, electronically. Uh, 
and the roles become much more value added. This, these are now roles that folks have to, instead of you know sitting in their office manipulating data or doing a single task, the roles are becoming more of connecting people and, and different concepts, and it, we're moving uh, to more sophisticated roles. And so, as we uh, as we um, natural attrition and as the team changes, we do look for, as you suggest, folks who um, have a, if not a sort of more system background, I would say an open mind to it. But the team here just, um, while these were, while this was a change for the team here, I have to say, you know, there were some people who might have been less um, enthusiastic about it or didn't understand it. For the most part, uh, we got this, I got the senior team together and explained that what we wanted to do and that we wanted to do it with this team. We did not want to bring in outsiders. We wanted to own our own destiny. We do have our own technology team. So it's not a corporate team. It's a team that sits in finance, writes code, connects systems, uh, evaluates new systems, whether we should buy it or build it, figures out how to connect to our trading infrastructure, or our risk architecture, et cetera, risk systems. So, so we do have a lot of that talent in that group, small, light group, um, but they understand the latest um, software development te- techniques. They're consistent with the rest of the company. So they, they, you know, they've been instrumental in rolling this out. I want to I ask about uh, KCG's competitive edge today. What is it that sets this firm apart? And clearly, uh, you've already, uh, I think, revealed to us a number of things. But what is the competitive edge that KCG has today? So, so KCG is a... Uh, we're not we're not even f- two year, four years old now. We're uh, we are a merger of two legacy companies. Uh, one, let's say, you know, decade old. The other, almost two decades. And so, in we're we're through the integration, but we're still building a new firm. You know, it's putting two companies together. A lot of people uh, moved on. We got a bunch of new people, so we're building the culture. Uh, it's still a work in development and. Uh, the transformation, sort of, I call it, rebuilding all the plumbing, the trading engines and all the order management systems and all that, risk, risk management systems, we're rebuilding all that. Instead of a patchwork of old systems that were connected together, one clean new um, engine to drive this company. Um, so, so that, even today with what, we have now, I would say, our first competitive advantage is just technology. To be, to be competitive in this trading space, you have to, you know, this is one of these, you're only as good as your last trade sort of environments. You have to be, the company has to be razor sharp every day. It's competitive. And um, so if you want to compete in this space, and um, you have to invest in technology. And we since I've been here before I was here and since I've been here, we've hired some of the best talent, uh, software development talent, system development talent, and, you know, the communication infrastructure that we have is all, all top notch. So 
so technology is the first. And then the second, and this dates back to um, our, you know, our, our legacy companies. While we're very technology focused and we've talked about, you know, having software do more of what humans did in the past, um, at the same time, we still maintain very close personal um, connections with our customers. And so some of these customers we've had for decades and we are, we pay the extra dollar to be full service where not all our competitors do. They make a cost benefit analysis and we have chosen to be, um, we have chosen to trade every symbol because that's what our clients want. And um, when there are issues, when we take on their operational risks. So that, that would, I would say our customer services are second and those two um, are those are things you have to invest in and um, and keep um, keep at uh, tip-top position at all times so those are heavy investment areas for us so what are then the the key metrics that you're paying close attention to to make sure the company is as competitive uh, as you hope yeah, the um, you know we look at like any firm, we look at a, a lot of different metrics around our customers and our competitive position. But if um, if you kind of sum those up, if if you are delivering uh, flawlessly for your for your clients and you um, give them a good price, because when when we um, trade stocks for uh, when a discount broker sends us their trades, we, we take those and give them a, a good, fair price, a competitive price. And so if you're not, if you're not trading effectively for them, or you're not getting them the best price, you very quickly lose market share. And that market share, we measure a couple of ways. One is just what percentage of the U.S. consolidated stock market, what percentage of the volume goes through KCG. And that's about in the mid-teens, uh, and it's, it's been at that for, um, for quite some time. And then secondly, the market share of the retail uh, client space. So if you or I were to go to our discount broker website and trade shares in, in your favorite stock, there's a uh, – your discount broker – We'll send that to KCG or one of its competitors, and there's about a one in four or a one in three now um, probability that it, that trade, your trade, will come through our building. So we have, for a small company of less than a thousand people, we have a very large share of the um, trade, a very large share of the U.S. stock market, and particularly the retail. And, and we look at that pretty closely because that captures the essence of, of how we're doing. You put such an emphasis on the uh, the customer. Are there other uh, metrics you're you're looking at in, in terms of customer engagement and uh, success? I think the um, you know what 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 we see, and this is um, not a metric per se. The um, it, you know what what we do see is the the, the practicing um, employee here. What you do see is. Trades come in, and um, they can be unusual trades, just in terms of their size or what needs to be done. And in the end, we have we evaluate ourselves on, you know, as a team, on 
were we able to accomplish that for the customer? And, and you know, this is a, um, you see a lot of these in, in, in any given day. And so that's the, when, when we can't do something for our customer, um, with, you know, within reason of, of, uh, a good trade, then, then, you know, I think that we, we look at that situation and, and ponder it a bit. So, um, it's for us, it's, it's market share is the big overarching metric. And then it gets very personal or individual for each customer or each client. We like to, ask for a finance strategic moment, and I'm sure you've had many of these. Uh, we're looking for sort of an insight along the way that you experienced just uh, given your role as a finance uh, leader. And uh, Does anything come to mind? Well, it's uh, finance, I, I would say, um, and I, I've touched on it a couple of times here, but uh, the, this is such a central thing for me. Um, and, and that is, you know, back back to the engineering days that you and I were talking about. When um, when I was a uh, engineer working on these computer design systems, one thing I I lived through was seeing how a piece of software, a well designed piece of software, in a computer, a couple engineers replaced dozens and dozens of draftsmen, um, which, which I was, I'm old enough to have seen them. And these were, these were row after row of, of, um, professionals sitting at drafting boards with large stacks of paper and, and, you know, pens and, uh, pencils and rulers. And, and that's how things were, were designed. And when, when this piece of software came out that I had been a part of in that whole industry, I watched, I physically watched um, enormous number of people being replaced by a piece of software that did things um, better, faster, and less expensively. And, and that's technology leverage, and that's all around us. It's, you know, in our smartphones and communication networks and everything. But that, uh, that technology leverage, you know, how a piece of something that had been researched and developed could, could lead to to economies of scale like that um, has stuck with me. And I look at investments of my own and, and different career options through that lens because that's power. And that's one of the things that attracted me here to, to KCG is that same concept, which is if we get this right and have build this trading platform, then as global volumes and volatility rise, that leads to more trading, more revenues, but no more costs. And so um, that, that is a very important part of our strategy. And, um, and, and I think we see that in that same insight in a lot of different things like, like um, um, social networking, where, again, once one of these things takes hold, the more users there are, the more powerful it becomes. And then it becomes the platform that everyone uses and all the competitors are are, you know, left in the dust. And so um, that, uh, as, as an engineer and as a finance professional, I'm constantly keeping my eye on, on those opportunities and competitors who are trying to exploit those opportunities. Many finance departments, I think you're a little 
you're ahead of most for sure. <laughs> but in 10 years and uh, the next decade, there's going to be so much uh, transforming that function. And in fact, uh, many of the roles are going to have to be uh, reformulated. Um, and uh, I think you've already shared how uh, the people on your team, it's about adding value. Uh, it's about how can they uh, find new ways to uh, shape their roles. But maybe you can share with us, what, is your, what are your priorities then as a, to the talent uh, on your team as a finance leader? Yeah, you know, the, Jack, the, when I first got here and um, after assessing the situation and getting to know folks and understanding what, they, um, what, what each person does, the, you know, the one thing I said in, in our finance town halls was, in, um, was to explain, which I, I described in already that example of, I said to folks, if your job is doing a, a repetitious task of the kind I described, manipulating data, then, then those are the things that we are trying to do automatically. And so um, I, we don't want to do this to you. We want you to be a part of it. We want you to recognize those opportunities to um, make what you're doing now do it better with um, the technology resources we have available. Work with the team. So we created a re-engineering team. We had this, um, this technology team I mentioned. Work with the team to actually sort of work yourself out of a job with the understanding is, is that having gone through that and done that, a person who's been through that and can say, yeah, I automated my job. I'm ready for the next thing is much more valuable than a person who, who, who resists the change because the change is going to happen. That's the world we live in. And so be a part of that change, embrace it. And you, like Stefan, um, back in my city days, if you're part of that re-engineering, you are going to create a new skill set for, your, for yourself. And I promise you that in the years ahead, that's going to pay dividends. And so getting the team to and, – and that was a big part of not bringing in outsiders. I wanted the team to understand that they could actually be enthusiastic coming in to do this because – they're actually developing. Because in the end, people need to get paid, they have bills to pay, but what they really want to do is advance. And advance by learning something new that they can apply to get to that next position, um, you know, reach up and get that next position. And so, yeah, we had some bumps. Now, it's, not, it's not been easy, and, but um, I think we're now seeing the team fully grasping that and we're starting to see, you know, you get enough of the people uh, pulling in the same direction and then you start to accelerate that change. And that's really what we're seeing now. We have what we now uh, call our mentoring round where I, okay. you, yeah, I, I think you've already uh, offered uh, some great mentoring tips out there, but um, to inspire and mentor some of the aspiring finance leaders, I'm going to ask you a few questions here. Sure. What's, What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? I, uh, I tell this to my mentees, um, and uh, we have intern classes here every year, uh, and I try to get to know all of them 
a terrific, terrific set of, of um, um, college and, and uh, graduate school uh, students. And, um, you know, the, the one thing that I remark, and, you know, it's hard to tell if it's you or the world, but it just seems to me there's so much opportunity in the world now. And, and what I mean by that is if um, technology has advanced so quickly, this is maybe a technology-centric view, but but um, young people, and you know their names, um, have an idea. They they start a company on a shoestring, and overnight, not overnight, but in a short period of time, some of these companies become incredibly successful, Facebook, the Googles, the, the so on. And um, it just didn't feel like that when I was getting out of college. It just... There's been a, um, uh, I think it's easier now to create something with a good idea and a lot of hard work. And that's exciting. Is there something you wish someone had told you before you, you did step in to the CFO role and take on that title? Um, the, I'd say before I got here, um, no, but just talking about the mentees, you know, before they launch into their career, I would say uh, one thing that I learned through experience and what I tell them is, is um, don't be afraid to, you know, to dream big. That sounds lofty, but, but I'll say it the other way, which is, which is, and I tell my own children this who are in the college and, and post-college um, age, which is don't, don't limit yourself in what you think you can do. And um, oftentimes, oftentimes the uh, people as they, as they grow in their careers realize that they could achieve more than they had expected when they were, um, when they were in their younger years. And so I constantly tell those, the, my mentees and our interns, dream big. Uh, don't, um, you know, understand these things take a long time and you will have a lot of ups and downs and sideways moves, but, but uh, believe in yourself and work hard and you'd be surprised what you can achieve. Is there a personal habit that you have that you believe has contributed to your professional success? I, I would say that goes to um, um, just hard work. And, um, you know, for me, my just personally, as you said, I was in upstate New York and my dad and, and his boyhood friend started a little construction company. We had no income for I don't know how many years. It was tough. And, and uh, um, the kids, we had to work at the company and summers and uh vacations and so on. And, and my sister filed, my brother and I laid pipe and poured concrete and, and, uh, things like that, shoveled ditches and, and, and our dad was demanding. And, um, and we learned at a young age to work hard. And what we saw as we, as we grew up and, uh, my dad and his partner became successful, we, you know, we learned the lesson um, by watching it daily, that his hard work, their hard work, over many years led to a very successful company. That uh, my my brother's still part of the management team. So, um, so that that's that is 
in the end, you know, I, it takes a lot of things, right, to to treat people well and and to communicate. But in the end, if you know, my experience is if you're not working hard, you're not going to move the ball down the field. So, is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Well, um, that's, that's a hard one. We're not we're not looking for a finance book, really. Just uh, um, could be anything, really. Yeah, you know, I. I Again, this is a mentee thing, um, and a lot of uh, a lot of our students, or, you know, business students, are often um, economics majors, and so so they understand this. But um, others aren't, and uh, and uh, what I always what I always tell folks is that um, when you go to college or if you're post college and and you're in this field. Having an understanding of of basic uh, economics is so important. Just and it sounds you know a lot of people take that for granted, but um, understanding the behaviors of people and companies and economies, um, global economies, it's it's all about incentives and um, and uh, unintended consequences of of decisions and and economics teaches you that. And so, and one of my favorites is um, it's called Basic Economics. Uh, Thomas Sowell, who's uh, you know a famous economist, and uh, I, to me is just the universal tool in our business for understanding how the world works. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Well, I have one. Uh, we have our final question for you, Stefan. Uh, what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Well, the what I've told the finance team and, and uh, our Daniel, our CEO, and I have told the entire team, the, the big team, the company and the board and uh, investors is where the next 12 months is we are heavily investing now and we are all 954 of us are all uh, focused on creating this new platform. And, and I think we're going to really see 2018, see it perform. Hopefully there'll be good market conditions. And it's exciting for all of us because it's been a lot of work and uh, we're all working towards this vision. And um, it's, you know, we have, we have, we're very focused about this. We, as a company, define what needs to be done in this transformation over the 12 months. And we, we take those goals, we publish them on our internal, um, internal website. We then work my goals, my directs goals there, you know, we, we, we push those goals down so that everyone is uh, pulling in the same direction. So, 
Um, that's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a um, uh, a lot of hard work for 12 months, but that is our focus: is to to create this new platform or unveil this new platform. Stephen Parrott, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Jack, it was an absolute pleasure talking with you, and I really appreciate this opportunity. Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever so short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching. And we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at CFOThoughtLeader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply.